Welcome to the Million Pound Biller Podcast, where we interview people from inside and outside recruitment to give you ideas to help you on your way to a million pound year. Now, over to Adrian Mansfield, the Million Pound Biller. Hello there and welcome to another interview within the Million Pound Biller podcast. Today, I'm joined by Gavin Johnson, who is, as his name on LinkedIn describes him, a recruiter, coach, and mentor. So, Gavin, it's you for a little bit now. Just Could you just describe to our listeners your background and who you are? Hi, Adrian, and uh, thanks for having me on the podcast. Yeah, I've been in recruitment since what feels like forever, because I started in 2004. So, uh, I've seen uh, one or two things about recruitment. I... The first 10 years, I was based in Belgium doing agency recruitment on placement of contractors, mostly. I did a bit of perm, but it was mostly uh, contractors. I then did a, a stint in London, same market, different challenges. And then in 2015, I thought, time to try something else out. And I tried in-house recruitment which was a bit of, a, bit of an eye-opener because it's a completely <laughs> different ball game. Yeah, I can imagine. And then I had all my old ex-clients contacting me. And so I've been basically since 2015 doing a few in-house recruitment gigs, but mostly doing my own solo recruiter business. Mm-hmm. And then about two and a half years ago, I thought, I've got so much knowledge. I see so many negative things on the web about recruiters and how awful we are and we should all be decimated and all that. And I thought, hold on a minute, I I get great feedback from my candidates, so maybe I can help people. And so I've been basically working towards having a training package that I can help recruiters, either people who are just starting and Mm -hmm. don't know where to start, or people who... Maybe have been in the business for 20 years, but don't quite hit the targets that they want to hit. Yeah. And so my aim is to offer an approach that simplifies the whole business development side, because I know a lot of people get freaked out with that. <laughs> and also basically makes it a bit of fun because, I mean, recruitment is not an easy job and I just want it to be a bit more fun for people. And so this training is my first course is launching on the 31st of January. Oh, wow. I bet that's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's taking that sort of 20 odd years of recruitment experience and trying to distill it down into a course is going to be, would have been, would have been a fun task, I'm sure. And it's interesting you talk about that because I, I think one of the things I'm really in, interested in is that self-development piece. And we obviously understand if somebody's coming new into a space that they're going to want to get trained and developed in it. And, uh, you know, so many people do that within, should we say, the confines of, a, of a, an agency of some description or other small, medium size or large. And, there are better and worse ones of those doing that training. But but if you're in that kind of space where you're you're out there on your own or you're you're in a few years, you know, the idea of training and, and developing yourself is probably something that people don't think about. But actually it's probably, you know, one of the big aspects of getting better at this job is keeping those training programs going forward, isn't it? Well, you know what the funny thing is, Adrian, is that I, because because I've got all these years experience in recruitment, I thought, oh well, easy, I'll go and teach people what I know. Well, I know about recruitment. What I didn't know was about how to record videos, how to edit videos, how to be on social media, how to get my brand out there. And I have got to go back basically to school and learn about all these things. So I've spent the last two and a half years really learning a lot. 
And you're absolutely right. I mean, I think too many people do not invest enough time in themselves. They do yeah. not continuously evolve, learn, get tricks, tips, because actually it would make their life easier. Mm. And so I think that is definitely something that people's mentality should change about. Also, one thing I only discovered about a year ago was that in the UK, 50% of recruitment agencies are solo recruiters. Right. So this means that you've got individual people hopefully having some kind of interaction with other recruiters, but maybe not. Yeah. And maybe they're just sitting in their corner, not really knowing, is their approach the best? Can they do things in an easier way? How to deal with all the problems that we've got right now? And so I, I definitely think that there is a need there to be able to offer something that people can take, even if it's a few little things away, but if it makes their life easier, and of course, people who are working from home actually have to juggle with many more problems than just the job, because you've got all sorts of things like the family being there, as I said before, being alone, but also things like, well, I've been working for 12 hours here. When do I stop? Yeah. <laughs> things like that. You know, it's very easily done to suddenly say, oh, well, I've been working since seven this morning. It's 7 p.m. already. Um, <laughs> so there's a lot of challenges, I think, especially since, uh, since COVID. And hopefully uh, I, can, I can bring some added value to people. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, one of my big sort of crossovers and those that have listened to the podcast a lot will, will hear me banging on this about a lot is the, is the amount we can learn from elite sport in business. The fact of the matter is the most elite of sports people you can get, I'm a big golfer, somebody like Tiger Woods has a coach, has somebody that works. I mean, they might not give them the basics anymore. They're working on developing and refining and things like that, but they have a coach that works on their performance with the best golfer in the world. And every golfer that you ever see out there on the links has a coach that's attached to them that works with them to greater or lesser degrees on a week-by-week -week basis. So, And yet in the business world, you know, we sit there and go, oh, we've trained somebody now. We've given them the basics. Go on, just, just head off into the sunset and work on, you know, developing it yourself. And there's no, there's no return to that coach. There's no, there's no constant refresh for what about description. Looking at, are we just doing best practice? Are we get, you know, are we getting into bad habits? And I think, you know, so often, particularly as you say, those solo recruiters, you know, if you're in a company, for example, if you're in a, if you're in an environment with other people, you potentially got the idea of bouncing ideas off other people or, picking up, you know, tips from others or just seeing how other people do it and learning from that. So you almost do, to a degree, get some coaching by osmosis. But if you're a solo recruiter or a small company with maybe one or two people or you're the leader of that company and the people that work to you are all lower level, which is, you know, even part above your 50%, there's probably a large percentage of those companies out there as well. You're not getting that coaching. Yeah. You're not getting that development. So that you've got to look at that and how you can how you can improve yourself and how you are you getting that rejig that bring back to bring back to basics type scenario so i think it's massively important for for anybody really to think about coaching as part of their their standard um tool set i saw a quote uh, a couple of months ago which was all the most successful people have a coach mm. the people who don't have a coach are not yet really successful <laughs> i thought i was maybe a bit pushing it but you know they're probably not that far off the mark no, I think that's, I think that's very fair. I mean, as I say, every every sports person, every whether it's football, rugby, whatever sport you're into, they've got a coach. And, and often these days, in fact, you see from sports, they're getting more and more specific. You get a cricket will have a batting coach and a bowling coach and a fielding coach yeah. and a 
whatever else, the fast bowling coach and the spin bowling. So these things are becoming more and more down to the weeds to get you better at that particular space of your sector. I think it's I think it's important to look at it. And the other thing I'd say is I spoke to a gentleman before called Mike Pagan on one of these podcasts, and he was he's very big into the, the idea of mental wealth and building a kind of a team around you, uh, particularly if you're talking about with solo entrepreneurs or people who've got a, you know, the top of a company who's got a, a group of people below them that don't necessarily have that ability to sort of bounce ideas off. And he's very big into this building of a kind of mental wealth team around you or a team around you that can support you as you as you go through life. And I fully embrace that. And a, a coach, mentor, coach, whatever, however you want to define that person, I think is an incredibly valuable person to be part of that, that group. Um, it's interesting, actually, because when I was just doing recruitment, I was thinking only me, only me, only me. And then now that I've had to, to learn all these new skills to do my coaching and my training, I've suddenly discovered that actually having people around, and it's only a virtual team that I've got, but I do have that virtual team. And it makes life not 10 times easier, but 100 times easier because you can bounce ideas off people. And it actually means that the quality of your work goes up at the same time also. Even, you know, simple little things that sometimes you don't think about, but then just because somebody else has mentioned something, mm. it comes back as a positive thing to you. Oh, no, so definitely yeah. you can get a lot out of building a, a team around you, having a coach, having somebody who is maybe even just going to throw things at you that you just never think about. Yeah. No, I think, I mean, it, there are so many pitfalls when you're running your own little business that you can run into that, you know, having that guiding hand on you to help you or just to, to even to drag you out of some of those pitfalls when you fall into them, because we all will. Yeah. Let's face it, it's always a good thing to have. And, it, you know, and fundamentally, come back to what Mike Pagan said about it, you know, it helps you, it does help you mental, you know, because you having those conversations, it can be quite a lonely position being a solo entrepreneur, a solo person trying to do recruitment. We all know recruitment's tough at the best of times, but if you're on your own in a, in a room and you can't have, you've got nobody to bounce ideas off, that can really ground you down after a time. So. Yeah. I think also the interesting thing that I discovered is about a bit over a year ago, I joined a number of groups with recruiters in it. And the one thing that I was most amazed about is how people don't actually know all the different types of recruitment, sort of the, the different methodology towards recruitment. Mm. And I thought, this is crazy. Some of these people have been doing this for over 10 years. Yeah. And they don't know all the different ways that one can recruit. Mm. And so just that fact shows that people really are quite isolated. I, I think, you know, I, I'd actually probably <laughs> recommend people to join a number of different agencies if they're going through the agency path. Mm. Just to get different views on things, just to have yeah. different experiences. It's enrichening, you know? Oh, absolutely. I've seen, you know, I've seen both sides of that with work and I've done in agencies and you've had people in, in agencies that I've worked for in the past who've been straight out of school or straight out of university into that agency and have kind of been there 10 years and, and that's all they know. And then I've seen other people, myself included, that have kind of done three years there, four years there, run their own company, yeah. come back. And have got a different view on life. Now, that's not to say one's better or worse, but it does mean you've got a, a wider view of, of life and just even some ideas of reference to say, well, actually, there isn't just one way of doing this. We could do some yeah. other things. Some Absolutely. Other Absolutely. Yeah. 
I think one of the things that we also, you and I both agree on, and I don't think this is necessarily a, a difficult one to agree on, is that the candidate focus that the market, particularly as, a current, as it currently stands, needs to have. And one of the things I know from, from your social media feeds at the moment, you're, you're very keen on training into people, looking with people, is that idea of, of trying to focus on the candidate. And, and maybe you could just chat to a bit about how, what your views are on that space in terms of how important you find the candidates are with your clients and, and just in general terms with your recruitment space. I came into the recruitment industry when I was 34. Hmm. So I had 15 years business experience before, which means that I'd been a candidate. Yeah. And I must admit that I hadn't always been that impressed with the way that the recruitment cycle had happened when it came yeah. to all sorts of things. But a lot of it was just down to the simple way they treat you. You always felt that you were not on the same level as the client. Hmm. And I mean, that is for me just completely crazy so if you start with that thing mm. that point that i already wasn't very happy with and then if you take the other thing that i see a lot is for me it's quite amazing but you you see a lot of recruiters what they try to do is they they try and get clients they go around they, they do anything that they can to get clients and once they've got a requirement then they go and get as fast as possible a candidate so they yeah. can show to the client, yes, I've got somebody. And I'm thinking about, hold on a minute, how are you going to be treating your candidate if you're just quickly running around and quickly mm. trying to react as quickly as possible to the client? I mean, that is again, nuts. Mm. Add to that, that because you're in a speed situation, your client probably is going to get the best candidates. Mm. And I thought, no, 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 we've got to turn this around completely. Put the candidate first. Mm. I don't, normally talk that much to clients. I mean, that's a, maybe a bit of an exaggeration, yeah. but mm -hmm. I, I, I probably spend 60 to 70% of my time talking to candidates. And if you get to develop a relationship with a candidate, if you understand what the candidate really needs, sometimes what their dreams are, you can actually serve them in a way that, one, they're going to say loads of good things about you, Two, they're going to have a bit of a better view of the recruitment industry as a whole, and that's definitely necessary. Mm. Three, I actually get most of my leads and requirements because I do contracting, so I do contingency mm. most of the time. I get most of my leads on, on, on new requirements from the candidates. Yeah. And then you end up in a situation where when the client comes to you and says, I've got a requirement, Whilst you're talking to the client, you already know who the people are that you're going to contact. Yeah. And so you're not doing a mad rush trying to find quickly somebody that you can send off. No, no. You're actually talking to the client saying, okay, so this is your requirement. Ah, but that's the best candidate, but they don't want to go and work on site. Therefore, I've got to ask a question about this. Ah, that's what you're looking for, but this is the best candidate for that. They're good in the four things that they're looking for, but not the fifth. Mm. Okay, dear Clive, this fifth thing, how important is it? And you steer the conversation in that way. So not only are you going to make sure that you're offering the perfect service to the client, but you're also setting the expectation with the client to the candidates they're going to receive. Yeah. No, and, no, then, yeah, yeah. and then, of course, you're submitting those candidates within two hours of, of talking to the client, whilst your competition is putting ads up, is going around trying to find the best in between brackets candidates. 
And so I just believe that if you take that approach of putting the candidate first, you are not only going to really treat the candidate to the real recruitment experience as it should be, but you're going to be offering a much better service to your client. Yeah, I, I, again, I can't agree with that any more than that. It's, just, it's perfect for me. And I think the other thing that you've just sort of highlighted a little bit there is the, is the fact that, you know, the number of times I speak to recruitment consultants and they are, they're saying, oh, actually, you know, I, I put this candidate forward and, and then the client wanted to interview and then the candidate just ghosted me or some form of that version of that. Oh, I decided he wasn't going to, well, suddenly wanted more money. I'm like, well, how long did you talk to the candidate before you put them forward? Oh, we had a, we had a good 15 or 20 minute chat. Okay, so so let's make the best scenario of this. You had a 15, 20-minute chat. You got a really good rapport out of it. But probably had four or five 15 or 20-minute chats of various different degrees, trying to fill a different role and all that kind of stuff. They probably don't know who you are. They probably can't remember. Even if you, oh, we sent them an email. Well, I'm sorry, but that's not a length of time to build up a relationship. If you're truly expecting that candidate to then be your best pal to go forward against the vacancy and, and be the person that the client's going to absolutely bet on. Mm, really? That's exactly uh, you know, it. And even more so in the current market when you have, you know, I believe still a very difficult market from the point of view. I still think clients are very picky about what they want. And I think mm. a lot of candidates, the better candidates, the best candidates are always working and they're probably holding on a bit more at the moment. So you're prying somebody out of a job where they're potentially not that, I mean, contracts are different, but even so, you know, they're probably not that keen to move because they don't know quite what's going to happen with COVID. You've really got to build that relationship. The candidate is probably almost more key in these sort of markets than at any other time. But if, you know, they're key in most scenarios, but in the current market, I'd say they're even more so. They're taking that volume of candidates and saying, oh, I'm going to focus on getting these candidates really qualified, build the relationship. As you say, get the best leads out of them as well, because they're the ones being spoken to. And if you build that relationship, they're an opportunity for you as well, aren't they? That's the thing. And you know, the interesting thing is that if you look at it from a sales point of view, they say that you need to have seven touch points before you can make a sale. Mm. Now, I don't believe really that we're selling to candidates. I mean, we're, we're, we're offering them a, a great service. Mm. And I, I do believe, though, that these seven touch points still are relevant. Mm. And so I remember having a conversation with this candidate and um, <laughs> he said to me once, he said, Gavin, how long have we known each other? And I said, oh, I think about six years. He goes, so we've been talking for six years and you've never placed me. <laughs> and I go, you know, I can't place everybody. It's yeah. impossible. But also sometimes you're available just a very short period of time in between contracts. The client's got a need that needs to be filled very rapidly. So the odds are that you won't always be available. Mm. The next thing you know, I placed him four times in a row. <laughs> but the advantage was that I knew exactly what he was looking for. Mm. I knew what his skill set was. I knew what his added value was. And when I placed him at the first client, he said, that's amazing because this is probably the best, the best gig I've ever done. Yeah. And it's not because I'm amazing. It's just because I spend some time listening to these people. Yeah. Ask the right questions listen to these people, and then you're going to be able to profit from it because you're going to make them happy and mm. the client happy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've still got friends, and I call them friends, you know, contractors that I placed 18, one of them 18, 19 years ago when I was almost first starting out in recruitment. I still catch up with him on a regular basis, have a coffee. He's in a completely different space that I'm recruiting in now, but I'm still, you know, I still look after him, to, you know, look, at, look him up, try and chat to him when I can you know, grab a coffee if we're both in London at the same time, things like that, because you build those relationships with people over time and they become, 
a friend as well as a, a candidate and a, in his case a client a little bit as well at one point but so that kind of relationship can really become a foundation for your business if you do it right and you know, we both know and i'm sure you've got countless examples as well as i have of of people who've built very successful one man's two-man band organization businesses on the back of 50 60 candidates that they just know inter- intimately and placing and just either contract or perhaps even burn just placing and rotating and, and managing that little market they're in a little niche and you can you can build a very good lifestyle business off the back of that easily enough. absolutely and you know it's interesting that you you bring that up because i think too many people try and go and say i need a market that is as big as possible and actually less is more yeah. and you know you're talking about 50 60 candidates yeah perfect i've got basically i've got an excel sheet believe it or not i'm, I'm, I'm very old style <laughs> but i've got an excel sheet with less than 400 candidates i've placed less than 100 of them hmm. And it's been the same people that I've been talking to for 17 years. Yeah. And, and, and that's more than enough to be very, very, very successful. Yeah. And then the great thing is, is that you end up in a situation like me where I haven't had to do any business development since 2015. Because mm. they're coming to you, all the clients are coming to you. The candidates yeah. are coming to you with opportunities. We've talked about this again. We've, we've spoken about this offline before, but, you know, I'm, big, I'm a big believer in the idea that but less is more in terms of vacancies. The number of times I speak to people and they go, oh, how many vacancies you got? I've got, I've got 10 or 20 vacancies on at the moment. And there's no way they're going to be able to fill those vacancies. And, they, and then you ask them what their conversion ratio is, and it's one in seven or one in eight or one in nine or some factor of that that they're trying to place. And you're like, so, so just to clarify, you're taking on 20 vacancies to make two placements, maybe three at a push if you're really getting the conversion ratios up. Why don't you become much more focused about what you're trying to do and try and reduce that number of vacancies and, and almost become selective with the client side and say, well, I'm only going to take these clients on if they give me X, Y, and Z, because I know that I can place two placements a month, three placements a month, whatever it might be that fits your base level requirement need in terms of income, target, whatever it might be. I can do that out of five vacancies. So if I've only got yeah. to place five to get three or get five on to place three or whatever it might be, three and three would be ace you can be in a much better position then because you can say to the client, sorry, I'm not working that vacancy because you won't give me exclusivity or you won't give me the right rates or you're, you're placing out to 20 other agencies. And But still so many agencies or so many consultants are like, I've got, I've got a whole load of roles on my job list. I'm set. I'm brilliant. I'm ace. Like, <laughs> really? Little do they know. Actually, it's interesting because one of, one of the things that I want to train is I want recruiters to be the number one recruiter in the world in their niche. Mm. So if that's the target, number one recruiter in the world in their niche, then if we work backwards and we take what you just said, which is work on, let's say, four live requirements at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the only way to be the number one recruiter in the world in your niche is to control the niche. That means you know 100% of vacancies of requirements in your niche yeah yeah that means that your niche has got to be quite small because if not you won't know them all and Mm. you'll be over the four so make your niche so small that it is only about four live requirements at any given time but you're closing at least two Mm. if possible i mean it's difficult but if possible three yeah 
And as, as soon as you've got that in place, everything becomes easier once you're in there for a few months. Yeah. Because you know everybody, everybody knows you. Mm. And if you do your market mapping properly, and that's also definitely a, a, an important topic in my training, you will know, what I always say is you've got to know 100% of your client ecosystem, mm. 100% of your competition ecosystem, and 95% of your candidate ecosystem. Mm. Now, why 95% is because you've always got one or two who are hidden, that they're not on social media, they're not on LinkedIn, and they do the job for 20 years. So they're probably not even that interested. Damn those people that are on social media. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But then, so for example, what I would do is, so going back to what we were saying, I get most of my leads from candidates, but the second biggest source is other recruiters placing job ads. I love that. I absolutely love people who do that because it means that I know. So, for example, I remember that there was, uh, there was this one competitor who thought so I was dealing a lot in France, and he put the first two numbers of the postal code, yeah. which is still a reasonably large area. But he, he put the description, I'd go, okay, that's about maybe 45 clients in France. Ah, postal code. Okay, well, that's four clients. Of those four, there's only two doing something right now. So I just pick up the phone and call both the hiring managers and say, do you happen to be looking for? Yeah. Shoot I've already got one on hand. Exactly. Yeah. He's still looking for his candidates. I know my candidates by heart. And in you go. And so if we come back to what you were saying about, you know, your size, I think that anybody who is listening to this, who is working on more than more or less four requirements at any given time has got to stop and think how productive they are, yeah. how much they're giving away to the competition, how much they're diluting what they are actually doing and therefore not offering the best service possible because you're not talking to enough people to get the right candidates in. <laughs> and last but not least, and again, I like to turn it around and look at it on the candidate point of view is, are you really offering the best service possible to your candidate? Mm -hmm. One of the things that I, I really learned was candidates want two things from you. The first thing they want is work. Mm -hmm. That's obvious. The second thing they want is help in recruitment. And that's things like, advice on how much they should be asking, whether it's a daily rate or a salary. Mm -hmm. Conditions, what can they ask, what can they not ask? What should they do in the interview to get the job? What should they do with their CV to get the job? What questions should they be asking? What, for example, and, and, and this is maybe going quite far when we're talking about contractors, but I actually try and do that, is what is the best next company to work on for the next six, 12, 18 months. Mm. Because some clients have got better reputation for certain things and other clients have got a different reputation. So if your candidates are coming to you for that, you can only really help them if you are really number one in the world in mm -hmm. your niche market. And what I find amazing is that you end up in a situation, you were talking about ghosting earlier on, you end up in a situation where 
because these candidates know you so well, they know you bring a value, they're not going to ghost on you. Mm -hmm. Because what's going to happen? You're more important to them than the job. Yeah. I've had people come to me that I had submitted to, you know, these sort of large consultancies with over 50,000 employees that you'd think, well, there's little Gavin here, and then these large consultancies, and I wasn't allowed a supply because I hadn't gone through the whole PSL thing. Yeah. And they came back to me and said, sorry, we can't supply. They contacted my two candidates, both, because they'd done the interview with the, with the hiring manager. Yeah. Both came to me and said, Gavin, um, purchasing from that organization have come to me and said, hey, we can't go through you. Is this correct? And I was actually still waiting to see if the hiring manager could do something about it. And two days later, I found out that they couldn't. And I said to both of them, I said, look, I found out that I can't supply, but you can go direct. I don't want to stop you. Both said to me, uh -uh, you find us our next job. You're, you're the one that's keeping on finding us work. We can go and do 12 months at that company, but then what? Yeah. And so I thought that was fantastic. And, and again, it's not because of who I am or what. It's just because of the way I work. Just because of the relationship. Value yeah. to these people. And it's not, you're not suggesting, I'm, not, I'm certainly not suggesting that this is difficult to do. It's just, it comes back to the idea of focus and time, doesn't it, really? At the end of the day, if you're, if you're trying to take on 20 vacancies per more contract, the simple number of hours in a month and hours in a week means you're going to have only a certain amount of time to focus on contacting and speaking to candidates on that basis. So if you reduce that number, and let's say you go from 20 to 4, just for the ease of math, you can do 20 to 5, I suppose, because it's the same, you're going to have much more time. You're going to have four times as much time or five times as much time to spend talking to those candidates. So if you're talking to a candidate, let's say 15 minutes a time, that means you're going to be working, you're going to have an hour to talk to that candidate. And in an hour, maybe two or three conversations, you're going to build that relationship. You're going to have that, that ability. So, I mean, I'm a big believer, and I know you and I have spoken about this again offline, is this idea of, you know, start from where you want to get to. Look at the, what do you, what's your goal? What's your number? What's your figure? Whether that's you personally, whether that's you part of a team, or whether that's you, whatever it might be. And then, and then say, okay, I need to get 10 grand a month, 15 grand a month, whatever it might be that you're looking to get. What's the minimum amount of vacancies placed that you need to do that? One, two, yeah. three, I don't know, what depends on your market. And then try and work out the minimum number of roles you need to take on to get that. And that builds your, your pipeline. And I'm only, I, can, I only want to work six roles. I only want to work three roles. I only want to work two roles because I can place one of those two roles and I'll make my number. Yeah. I place three of those four roles, I'll make my number. And yeah. if you do that and you and you flip it around on that basis, your your candidate management piece will be much better. Your client relationships will be much better because you're not one of a number. You're only working candidates and clients based on delivery and actually being able to offer them something. I know just on, on this topic, you were talking about a candidate. I don't want to break any confidence here, but you're speaking to somebody about the American market, about the idea of going after the whole of the West Coast or the East Coast and, and look at New York. But I think, you know, these things can be down down to almost streets. You can go to, I'm oh, just yeah. going to work on people in these areas of London. I'm just going to work on these areas of Worcester or these areas of, of, of Belgium, Brussels, or whatever it might be. You don't need that many to make a successful no. business. That's the point, no. is it? I agree 100%. And you know, you were saying about whether it's easy or difficult. I see regularly <laughs> recruiters in total panic because I can't find clients. Hmm. I can't find candidates. I got too many things going on, too many plates are spinning, time management. Yeah. And I'm thinking like, hold on, guys. 
it's a difficult job because there's so many things to take into account. There's a lot of negotiations and stuff. But let's have some fun, you know? (laughs) I mean, there's no need to be completely stressed out all the time about this job. And if people just sat back a bit and and, and thought about what they were doing and rather than just diving in and and, and not having a methodology that is going to really, really help them, I mean, I wouldn't want to work like some of these people are working. And so, so yeah, so I think that, you know, what I say to people is, I would say the first two to three years is, is a lot of work because you want to get your, yourself out there. You want your market to know you. You want to know your market. But then after that, it, it can seriously go down to, to not many hours a week. I mean, I, I work less than half a day a week nowadays on, mm-hmm. uh, on recruitment, and I'm still making more money than, than, than most people. But the other thing that I'm saying is also have fun. And there's, <laughs> there's you know, have, have this sort of detective Thing to it. I mean, I look at things and say little challenges, you know, like, for example, it could be a client saying, I mean, I had a client came to me uh, two days ago with a requirement and I thought, oh, I haven't worked on one of these in literally about, I think, four and a half, five years. And I thought, who, who could do this? Mm. And, and then, you know, you turn it into a game, you turn it into, okay, Sherlock Holmes hat goes on. Let's do it. Let's find out. And, and what I do then, I just send mails out to all of these candidates that I know going, you remember you worked then? Was that? Who was it? And do you know anybody doing this? And, and let the network work for you. I mean, it, it, it makes it much more fun. Well, yeah, and, and come back to that point, and I had this conversation with my team literally just yesterday, is the, the, the idea that we speak to people and we say, oh, yeah, no, do, do you know anybody else that might be suitable for this role? If you've got no relationship with that candidate, the answer in 99% out of 100 cases is going to be no, even if they do, because they don't trust you and they don't, they're not going to give away their contact names or whatever it might be to you if just on the basis of that question. We ask people to ask it, but I'm never a big believer in it being very successful. But if you, as, as, as Gavin, have built that network and that contact book and that network of people that are out there, you've got the ability to ask that network and say, do you know somebody that might be fit for this role and the opposite happens you know 90% of the time when you've got that scenario and that relationship they'll come back and go actually yeah I think I might do let me give me give me half an hour and I'll, I'll come back to you with a couple of names yeah exactly because they feel like they you know they have that relationship with you that they're prepared to help and support you so when you have those tough vacancies those roles that you want to sort of dig somebody out of the weeds from that one percent of person that's not on social media that you can't find that's when that network is in, is, is is absolutely it's worth its weight in gold Absolutely. Um, and oh, you yeah. only get that, as you say, through time. The other point that we're coming to on this, and, and it's interesting because you work with solo entrepreneurs and I work with people that generally looking to set their own, their own company up, is it's, it's so often that these things are driven by the KPIs of the agencies you're working with. And one of the benefits of, of doing it yourself or trying to go out on your own is you can then set your own, your own tune to march to. And the number of times I speak to people in agencies and they're like, well, this, I've got to have this number of jobs because I've got to have this much activity and this is what I'm being measured on. And I think there's still so many agencies out there that are just not working to the right KPIs that are effectively creating a bad environment for themselves, if you like. Yeah. But obviously, if you go out there on your own, you've got the ability to, to do what you want to do, how you want to do it, and it gives you that flexibility. I work for an agency where um, one of the things that was measured is the amount of time on the phone. <laughs> and um, the guy who won it every single week spent something like between six and seven hours on the phone every day. Yeah. He was... I think the third from bottom when it comes to, to placing. And, and the thing is this, is that it's very easy to spend all day on the phone. Mm. But are you actually building a relationship? 
are you actually bringing value to these people? Are you actually learning from them things? Mm. Are you getting leads out of them? Are you learning what they really want? Are you finding out, oh, those are the people that they know, those are the people they don't like, those are the people they mm. do like, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And that KPI was so useless. It was at that company that I learned the only thing I'm interested in is one KPI, mm. and that is amount of placements a month. Yeah. And all the rest leads to that. Yeah. Having said that, I must say there was somebody made an interesting comment because we were talking about this topic this week, and um, they made an interesting topic, which was because of all the ghosting, mm. it's maybe in need for a little update, and it's not amount of placements anymore, but it's amount of starts. Yeah. Yeah. Because you've got a few too many people yeah, that are disappearing in between. Well, again, that comes back to you managing candidates better, doesn't it, to a degree? But, but yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, that the high idea of, of call stats being a, being a measurement of, of somebody's success or failure is, I mean, I just, it seems like a complete, if you measure something, it, if you look at something that in that detail, it'll get measured. The people will just phone, fundamentally, people will phone the speaking clock if they need to. Just because somebody's been on the phone for two hours in a day, doesn't mean to say they've done any value out of that two hours. It's, 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 a, yeah. it's a pointless position. I mean, it just, for me, you just go, what the, you know, why are you trying to measure that as a, as, and it, I can understand why it is because everybody, there's so many agencies still out there about micromanagement of people, keeping an eye on what they're trying to do. You know, all this, you know, if we make sure we're measuring their call stats, they'll get on the phone, they'll use the phone. Well, actually, Adrian, I'm going to say something maybe a bit controversial. I, I'm going to say that I have a feeling that, one of the big problems is that the managers in question want to do micromanagement, mm. but they don't actually spend enough time on the management and coaching of their people. And yeah. that's why they put these KPIs in place, just so that they feel reassured. Yeah. And, and that's got to change. Yeah. I mean, you need to have a situation where you are not a manager telling people what to do. You are a facilitator helping your team reach their result. Absolutely. And that is only going to work by being hands-on all the way from the beginning until they, they reach a point where they can do their job. And then, like we were saying at the beginning of our chat, you need to be there as a coach. Yep. They need to be able to rely on you to be there, support them, and, and make sure that, well, because I, I hear a lot of these things about, yeah, but if you go for creating all these great recruiters, they're just going to leave you. My experience is not that. If you treat your people well, why would they leave? Yeah. It's not only about the money, especially if, we, if we, you've got a team of successful recruiters, they're already making good money. They will probably want to stay in the team, make sure that they don't want to leave. There are a lot of benefits of working in a big team in an organization if the structure's right and the business is right and you can be measured and managed the right way that I would suggest to people don't leave. But the fact of the matter is that's so few of those companies in our market that that's why you have 50% of people out there on their own doing their own agency work because they just don't get that level of management or that structure in the, in the agency they're working for, unfortunately. But yeah. it will always be a benefit to you and I and the benefit of people looking to go out there and do it themselves. So that's, that's good for us in the long term. So we've chatted around a number of different topics now, but obviously from the point of view of your, your personal business, you're launching this training course in, in the end of January. So... So how can people get hold of you? How can people find you if they're interested or if it's something that's piqued their interest here? How can they, uh, how can they link to you and get, get hold of you? 
Well, the website is everythingaboutrecruitment.com. Mm-hmm. It's a countdown until the 31st of January when the, everything goes live. Yeah. They can definitely connect to me, Gavin Johnston1 mm-hmm. on LinkedIn. Somebody else got in there first, eh? It's amazing how many Gavin Johnsons there are in the world, actually. <laughs> we'll put we'll put links to both of those two in the t- in the show notes so people can click through the uh, documents underneath the podcast and, and find those two. So that's great. Great stuff. Great stuff. Yeah. And I mean, my aim, so I'm starting with this one course, and that's why I called it everything about recruitment. I mean, I won't be able to cover everything, everything, but what I'd like to be able to do is offer from right the beginning of somebody who, who says, well, what do I do for the first six weeks? Hmm through to somebody who, who, who is already a top biller and been in the business for 15, 20 years, I want to be able to offer interesting things to everybody. Mm-hmm. And so the aim is over the coming years to develop that. I've already got so many ideas of things <laughs> that I'm going to develop. Yeah. You just need to go out there and see all the questions that recruiters are yeah. asking. And I also think, and I mean, we've touched on it a bit today, is things like management. Mm. That is also, there's a lot of topics that need to be covered there. So over the years, there's going to be a lot more uh, on offer on there. But uh, yeah, it's uh, a fantastic experience, I must say. I'm sure sure it is. I'm sure it is. Well, Gary, again, thank you very much for your time today. I'll put the show notes, links to your LinkedIn profile and your everything about recruitment webpage so people can can find you there. Uh, And I wish you all the best with with the course when it goes live on the 31st of January. And I'm sure you and I will have many more conversations over the coming weeks in social media and other places. So thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me, Adrian.